volume is enough. Okay. Here okay. We well, you have to turn the volume up first. That's, that's usually like, a good way to do it. I mean, that's a podcast one hundred and one. Turn the volume up. Mm. Do you think that maybe we could? Uh, I don't know. Talk into a microphone. Well, sure, oh, there yeah. we go. We should talk into microphones and uh, pivot the booms appropriately so that they don't crumble, crash, whatnot. But anyway, I was wondering if we could maybe spring for some amplifiers. Like maybe we could run the mics into an amplifier and then the amplifier into the board and make sure that the amplifier turns up to 11 <laughs> so that we can be the loudest podcast on iTunes. I'll look into it. Okay. I mean, we can go halvesies. Welcome to Deuterocanons, episode 26. I'm Justin, and with me as always is Byron. Party on, Byron. Party on, Justin. So a bit of housekeeping to get out of the way. Um, we are no longer live streaming on Facebook. It's just one of those things. But we are still podcasting. It'll probably be on Facebook. So whether you uh, are listening on Apple Music slash iTunes or Audible or Podbean or, you know, the old Facebook, like, share, subscribe, rate, comment, whatever the platform asks for in terms of feedback, uh, please give it. I mean, a, a bare minimum of four stars with the, you know, the salutary, 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 Sal which one is it? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, I think people are, uh, are, are spreading the message or sharing. So keep that yeah. up because our, uh, our downloads are increasing. I'd, I'd like to see some comments. That would be cool too. Make yeah. Some comments, but more of the thing, just please share. And, uh, you know, I, I would, I would accept comments regarding things like possible topics yeah sure possible topics i mean i make no promises don't tell us things about us that we don't want to hear though because uh we're, we're really uh you know delicate and can't take it i'm, right. just, I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah like where'd you get that shirt at goodwill it's like well <laughs> you know turns out funny story facts yeah it's you know just speaking for myself um so the topic tonight is death life heroes and sacrifice death life heroes and sacrifice mm. i feel like this would is really the sort of thing that you would come up with death life heroes sacrifice right i don't know and honestly you know i've been meaning to tell you this uh we are uh two weeks removed from the fourth of july but your sermon on on that sunday it pumped me up yeah i think you did a great job thank you it made me love america i mean i i always love america but, uh, you know, it gave me that prideful feeling that you just get every once in a while. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I mean, you know, and it's like on that topic, I think it's important to have the right kind of love and appreciation for our country. I agree. I don't simply mean that just for us vis-a-vis -vis America. I mean, it's good for Canadians to have the right kind of love for Canada. It's good for people in Mexico to have the right kind of love for Mexico and Peru yeah. and Russia and you know on and on and on yeah you know I don't think that there's a, a single thing wrong with anybody appreciating his or like the good parts good aspects of uh, a culture history traditions 
anything anything like that. Well, and, you know, I think people in the church get kind of uneasy about it sometimes, and you know, flags and symbols and and things like that. But and and it's it's not fair. Well, because you'll hear about people talk about Christian nationalism and things like yeah. that, and it's not fair when they they try to rope everybody into that because there, there's obviously going to be some overlap, right? Like I'm sure Christian nationalists appreciate the flag, as do I, but I'm not a Christian nationalist. I guess my point is this though is love is not finite you know like you can love god you can love your family you can love your favorite baseball team and you can love your country you can love all those things i think yeah exactly the the problem of course is that in order to build what certain people want to build in terms of society you know like the sort of things we talk about a lot right sort of have to tear everything down you know uh and that's that's what we saw all throughout the 20th century russia china cuba yep on and on to to usher in the the kind of purely or allegedly purely humanistic materialistic scientific all-encompassing government mm-hmm. bunch of heads have to roll mm-hmm. and no one who who loves anything whether it's i mean all the way from god gods down to governments or even sports teams really i i, I don't think that anybody who has the right kind of love for anything can go along with that yeah but we see that it's it's prevalent yeah so i guess speaking of death and also the opposite of that, and heroes and sacrifice. Um, I think I want to give a, a little bit of background about where where my head is with this topic, and then we're going to go. I know I told you Romans six, but we're going to go first to Romans <clears throat> Romans five, and we're going to look at at both of these chapters. Okay. <clears throat> and then we'll we'll see where where that takes us in the conversation. <clears throat> so one of the things that I've said in recent episodes and probably sermons, is that it's, it's one thing to, to read a text, mm-hmm. whether that's the Bible or the Constitution or Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens isn't a text. I mean, stuff that he wrote. It's one thing to, to read it, and that's good. It's good to read and understand a text. Mm-hmm. But then if you can look at other texts that that first one is, is written in response to, or in contrast to, or simultaneous to, mm-hmm. th- there's it just opens up so much more understanding about the situation you're reading about. Right. So I've I've talked about you know reading C.S. Lewis. Well, okay, so you can read C.S. Lewis, but then if you back up and read, say G.K. Chesterton, who was greatly influential to Lewis, and so so you can look at these paired texts, you can look at them in similarity or in um i guess not derivation but inspiration so chesterton inspired lewis Mm -hmm. okay so that's one way you can look at it but then you can also go to say hg wells Mm -hmm. who even though he was a friend of chesterton they, they carried on this this long public debate and not only do chesterton's works directly interact with wells's works but Lewis's do as well. Mm-hmm. And there's even a, a character in one of Lewis's books called That Hideous Strength that is modeled after H.G. Wells. Huh. 
and I, I sort of knew that academically, but within the last, I don't know, eight or nine months, I've read a lot of H.G. Wells. And so I appreciate a whole lot more specifically what, what Lewis was getting at with his construction of this character or that character or, or like in The Abolition of Man, which you have read. Mm-hmm. The people who were promoting the ideas that he was criticizing. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so... With that, with that laid out, it's also the case in the scriptures. Okay. So w- you and I have read the Bible for a long time. Yes. Yes. I can't remember a time when I didn't go to Sunday school. I can't. In church. Right. Like I remember that I got my first Bible when I was like five years old, and I got it from my church because I memorized Psalm twenty-three. Yeah, I can still see the cover of my children's Bible. I, you might have seen it. It was, it, it was red. And there's a picture of Jesus right in the center. Mm-hmm. There was like a sun in the background. Yeah, Mine was the Adventure Bible, mm. which I think maybe a couple of your kids have. Yeah, I think Emmett has that one. Yeah, mine was sort of the uh, like the proto-Adventure Bible. <clears throat> Blue cover, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. So I remember a time when I, when I didn't have that Bible, but before that I had like, you know, like the little red Gideon Testament. Yeah. With my name. Oh, like... It had it had my name in in the inside like one of those like plastic label makers. Oh, okay. It said Justin. Yeah, the old school ones. Where you had to oh like yeah. Squeeze real exactly. Tight. Yeah. I I don't know who I got that from, but I was really proud of it. <laughs> so the point is like like we've read the Bible for a long time. So just recently, I've been reading other ancient literature. I, I'm a part of a kind of a loose group. Maybe, I don't know, if loose group is the right word, but... Bunch of nerds. A bunch of nerds, yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, well, that's not nice. <laughs> yeah, so I, I know some other nerds, you know, nerds of a feather and all that. Right. And other teachers in our in our county here. And we're, we decided that, you know, even though... So it's two of the guys are AP teachers at the high school, really great guys. Uh, I admire them a lot. And so I'm just a lowly middle school English teacher, but we got, we were talking and we realized that you know, we're college educated. We've been teachers for a number of years. Those guys have even been AP teachers. I've been a pre-AP teacher. And our knowledge of the classics is enormously lacking. Yeah. And we're trying to remedy that by reading everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, can I get, can I ask, well, can I take a guess here? Like, yeah. I mean, I know you, you read quite a bit, but like, was the last of your academic reading like college then? I mean, academic reading in the terms of in terms of doing it for like, like real study. Yes and no. Since I've been because I teach, I, I do tend to study things, and even when I read read things quote for fun, there's still a okay. I don't know scholastic academic, right? Inquisitive, maybe inquisitive is is a better way of putting it approach to it it doesn't mean that i'm writing essays all the time well i guess i was just thinking of like again i don't know this to be true it's not my world but you know there's probably algebra teachers that have been teaching algebra for 20 years but the last time they took an algebra class was when they graduated and they just sure. been teaching the same yeah. stuff over and over again and never really maybe learning more like is there a continued education requirement for English language arts teachers definitely unfortunately so i have to have 24 hours a year of continuing education or professional development, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's really hard to find things that are. It's not like really directly related to 
the content that I teach. Most of it's methods. Yeah. It's not like read Chaucer or something. Right? No, no. It's yeah. it's like, yeah, teachery stuff. Like more of more of what I got in my master's degree. Yeah. How to keep children engaged. Like education. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Teachery jargon talk. Right. And that that's not all that in- enjoyable. Um, I, I have tried to, to go to things that are that are more related to like thinking about writing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not going to get into to all of that. But so th- these these guys that I've gotten together with <clears throat> and when I said we're, we're going to read everything, obviously, that's uh, a bit of an exaggeration. But we've read the ep- Epic of Gilgamesh, mm-hmm. very ancient. And we've read what well, we're working on reading the Iliad by oh, Homer. Wow. OK, so I guess question one. Do you know anything at all since since you're you know CC dad? Yeah. <clears throat> classical conversations with your kids. Do you know anything about like that you know ancient Greece? Any of the important stuff at all that you can lay on me? Oh my goodness! You know, and this is kind of maybe to your point. I feel like, um, man, I was thinking about this the other day. Let's see if I can articulate what I was thinking because we there's a lot of things to learn, you know? And, um, man, it's really not as if there isn't enough time to learn a bulk of, I don't know what would be good academic content. It's just that we don't use time wisely and I'm a product of that. And so now the things my kids are learning, I'm like, Oh man, I, I want to know this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I'm trying to play catch up and it's just part of their routine. You know, like I've got this, I'm always telling my daughter, like, look, you were, how old was I? I was 25 years old when you were born. I will always be 25 years older than you, right? And so to, to, so, to some degree, that's like, you know, uh, it's usually in the context of like, look, you're not smarter than me yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got a 25-year head start on you. But at the same time, I, in a way, I've got 25 years that were wasted in, man, I, I just understand what I'm saying, people. It's just how I talk wasted in public education okay like i understand there's plenty of good people that did just fine i'm I'm doing okay right but at the same time the stuff they're getting to learn i haven't got to learn and so all that being said what do i know about ancient greece oh man i don't know like i know there were some greek and roman gods i know i've, I've watched some youtube videos on plato i've watched some youtube videos on aristotle man, like, can I, can I quote, uh, Socrates, like, can I quote any of the things that they've said? Like not, not from, not like by heart, like mm-hmm. it, maybe it might come to me in conversation. Oh, I remember hearing Plato say this, right? Um, I try to employ the Socratic method. Okay. I think that's a good way of learning. But by which you mean what? Um, it's my understanding that Socratic method is kind of like, by you ask a student questions to help them like to help draw the answer out of them. Okay. Does that seem accurate to you? Cause that's what I've been doing. <laughs> I hope that's right. Is that what you've been doing? Yeah. <laughs> I try to, yeah. Right. Like Ron Swanson on exactly. the witness stand <laughs> or being deposed. Yep. Answer every question with a question. Um, I don't know. I guess that's all that comes to me at the moment. What, what, what are you looking for? Justin? Okay. So follow up question. Okay. In Genesis six, uh, I, we're not going to turn there. I'll just quote part of it. In Genesis 6, it says, uh, And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and had children by them. These were the mighty men, men of old, 
uh, these were the mighty men, heroes of old, men of renown. Mm-hmm. There is this sense across ancient literature that in the past there, there were these heroes, uh-huh. mighty men, men of renown, uh, giants or superhumans in, in one way or another. So, do you know? I don't. I don't know. Do you have any? Uh, I don't know names to throw out or, or or any any ancient heroes that that come to mind. Mighty men. Are we talking like Greek mythology? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like Greek mythology. Okay. So like, uh, oh my goodness. So there's all the Greek Roman gods, right? Zeus, Jupiter, Ares, Juno, like all those. There was uh, my goodness, Arch- uh Who's the one that flew t- flew cl- too close to the sun? I can't. Icarus. Think. Icarus. Who's the one that ran really fast? Nike's named after him. Nike? Is that no? Nike's what he shouted. I think it means like victory or something. Uh. Anywho. <laughs> Hermes? Her- maybe. I mean, Hermes was a messenger. The of messenger. Gods. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Um, I know those. I guess when it comes to more like how Greece might be relevant to biblical times, like Punic Wars, right? So isn't that Rome? Greece fell to Rome. Obviously, we had. Um, who was it? Titus? Wasn't he a Greek Christian? Or man, I don't know. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I'm sort of relying on you a little bit here because you've uh, you've been around the timeline song longer than I have. Yeah. I, is there, so a timeline card? I guess I'm not thinking about a timeline card that would pertain to what you're asking me. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm just sort of fishing around for like just what you know about those heroes. So when it comes to, you know, guys like, I don't know, Hermes, mm-hmm. Zeus, I mean, so you could go kind of go back and forth between gods or demigods, whatnot. Do you have any sense of like what they were up to or what was so great about them or what was heroic about them? <clears throat> um, I mean, and by the way, like, <clears throat> like I'm not asking for like, uh, n- even necessarily uh, a 100% right answer. I just mean, um, what I'm trying to get at is, in as much as you've been exposed to s- some of this history and whatnot, have you, can you or have you been able to extract any sense of just what the point of right. all that is? I think I see where you're going with this. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, in a lot of the cases, it, like they're doing great feats, and there's certain maybe attributes that are embodied in these people, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, some of those are good, or some, and some of those are bad. And so, I think at the heart of all these is, uh, I mean, clearly it's like Greek mythology; it's mythology; it's not true. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that there isn't truth to the lessons that they teach, and and in, again in D- depicting or uh, embodying against certain characteristics that we've decided uh, over time are desirable attributes. But like this might be how like Jordan Peterson would say, like we might see that we might say that these are things that are part of God's design. That's why they're desirable. Uh-huh. He might say these are things that have just, these were patterns that have now become rules. And so there there's um, and there's, and there's meaning in them, I guess. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, just bravo, by the way, because before, I don't know, the last several weeks, I wouldn't have been able to 
rattle off anything close to that. Oh. <laughs> because, like, I'll be honest, like uh, other. So I read when I was in middle school, I remember that we read some adapted excerpt from the Iliad. Right. And I watched some Wishbone. Mm-hmm. Did you watch Wishbone? I did. On What's PBS? the story, Wishbone? <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. That guy. Cute little Jack Russell Terrier. I, I highly recommend it, by the way. Yeah. There was uh so there was a Wishbone episode adapted from the Odyssey. Okay. And of course Wishbone was Odysseus. Mm-hmm. Which oh. was compelling. Interesting. <laughs> what is Jason and the Argonauts, is that is that part of the Odyssey or the Iliad? Is that well, Greek stuff. So I've I've read the Iliad now, and I've not gotten to the Odyssey. Jason was mentioned once, at least once in in the Iliad, but um, I haven't gotten to the, the Odyssey yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm guessing that it might be part of that. Yeah, because uh, the uh, like Achilles and Agamemnon's side are are the Argives. Yeah. So the Argives are from Argos, hence Argonauts. Right. So. Like the the archives who are out on boats, I reckon. Well, you know, and, and again, I don't know if this is where you're going with this, but it's interesting because you you, remember, you know, you think about the idea of a fable or, um, goodness, like what's what's a what's a good example of a book of Aesop's fables. Aesop's fables, right? But I feel like there's other ones. But anyways, like those are all stories that have a meaning. Like I, I do remember learning that in like a literature class or something like mm-hmm. that. Like this is a story that has it's trying to teach you something, but I think in reality, um, and this is a lot of stuff like like I think Jonathan Pajot and then also Jordan Peterson Peterson talk about where like really all stories have a purpose like they have a meaning mm-hmm. they are they're they're there to actually teach us things. It's just we just don't a- appreciate what they are anymore. Um, maybe it's that it's by virtue of technology or um, you know things maybe they're just so cliche now. And yet, and yet they continue to be, be entertaining. Like how many of the Marvel movies end with like, uh, the Marvel heroes winning. Okay. So that, that, that's going to kind of be part, I I think that there might be a part two of this. And and I think I I would like to get to, uh, you made that promise before. I I know, I know, but this time (laughs) a promise, promise might be a strong word there. You're right. Okay. You've made mention of part twos before. So I know it might sound like I'm kind of grilling you a little bit, like, you know, pop quiz for Byron on uh I just told Greece you I had whatnot. a busy week, too. Well, I know. So, you know, sometimes it's good to have new problems to help distract you from your real problems. You're right. Now I know also, on top of everything else, I don't know enough about Greece. <laughs> well, yeah, n- neither do I. Failed economy. That's... But he, here's the thing. I think that... Hot oh, take. yeah. Hot man, take. That's recent history. Yeah. <laughs> I think that w- what I'm trying to get at is that I, I guess it's kind of a, an admission. Like this is, I'm coming clean, so to speak. Ah. You know, I've been a teacher for a long time, a literature teacher. Yeah. So I don't know if, if there were something about military tactics that you didn't know. I mean, you know, that's kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Because that's your thing. Like, that's yeah. that's what you do. You've yeah. been trained to do that. Yep. You've been paid by taxpayers to do that for a number of years, like way more than a decade. Mm. And so it's the same thing with me, except for 
just a, a different subject area. Yeah. And so, but by reading these old stories, like Gilgamesh, like the Iliad, I'm like, man, like what's what's wrong with me? Th- th- this is bad that I don't already know yeah. about all this. Like, how can I possibly claim to be one an educated person, mm-hmm. two a teacher, three a literature teacher, with without having th- this this being part of my knowledge base? Yeah. So yeah, so this is this was not like grill Byron. This is like really pointing the finger at at myself. I think it's good though, and I I would imagine, as I've said before, you've got to have this in every profession, and and it's just a matter of uh, are people aware enough to notice it? Because there are certainly things in the military where I mean, I've had had this conversation a lot, and you've heard me say this before too. If you want a new idea, read an old book, right? Um, that's one of the smartest things I've ever heard. And so I don't even know where it came from. It's not me, obviously. But, uh, you know, there's so much. We're seeing a lot of things kind of come full circle as it pertains to conflict in the world right now because we've been focused on counter, countering violence, violent extremists. And now we're circling back to great powers and, you know, Russia, China, Iran and all that. But But here's the thing, like, we've had to worry about great powers before. We've just haven't done it in a while. And so we're having a lot of conversations about where it's like, you know, like there's manuals from world war two on the stuff that we're talking about. Like we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. Like, and, and it's just like, but there, there are a lot of people out there. Where it's like, how do you, how do we not, <laughs> how do I just learning about this? I'm in the army 20 years, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's definitely how I feel. But I also think that it's, it's an, it's unfortunate. So like, so I, I don't, I don't know enough about these things. And I would suspect that a lot of teachers are in the same boat. They they don't know about these ancient stories, and you you can't give what you don't have. Yeah. And I, the thought is that well, you know, that's just ancient. Those are just ancient stories. They don't really matter. Like, can't you teach reading with any story? Yeah. Like any any you know chunk of text. Like that really is the the going idea, but but what I'm what I'm seeing in reading these ancient stories is that I've been cut off from a whole lot that's very important. Yeah. However, it it's not because I like the things that I'm finding. Yeah. Okay. Because what I'm. Oh, let me back up from that. I, I'm, I'm actually not liking what I'm finding in these texts. But when I bring the scriptures alongside it and look at the contrast, mm-hmm. I'm seeing how good God is. Oh, okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I, I want to try to summarize very briefly. First, uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, and then second, the Iliad. Okay, so let me ask you this real quick. So, So are you saying it's almost like like we know the Bible's good, uh, I guess. Like you and I know that. Yeah. Christians know that. There's probably even some lay people who might recognize that, but we don't appreciate how good it was given the things that were going on around it, like in that time. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's one of the the places that that we're going to be going here. And I've got a little bug in this cup of water. Thirsty little dude. Sorry, I had to end his life. Gross. Yep. I'm, I'm still going to drink it. It's filtered water, right? 
it's filtered through something. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that yes, that that is what I what what I I want us to see, because you know th- this goes back to the whole Romans twelve one and two. That's kind of our our theme here at Deutero Canons. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the pattern of the world, and then you've got a, tr- a transformed mm. mind. You've got a renewed mind, mm-hmm. and so so we've got to be. You know, we, we've got to have our eyes open to, to both things. Yeah. The, the patterns at, that the, the world presents to us, what it values, what it what it's driving towards, as opposed to what's revealed in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I find that reading ancient literature is like a practice in that, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm, I'm reading about these pagan uh, cultures and what's important to them and how they go about life. Mm hmm. Or, or at least how they go about war, which I think is telling. Mm-hmm. You know how how a how a culture goes to war says something about the culture. Yeah, absolutely. And then you got the scriptures. So, uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. This it's supposed to be the most ancient written thing that we have. Now, anyway, that's that's what what scholars tend to say. It was on clay tablets. It's from Mesopotamia. Very very ancient stuff. So the Epic of Gilgamesh is, uh, well, centers on Gilgamesh, who is this hero of old, this this man of renown, this this strong man. He's one third human, two thirds god, hmm. which th- that that's a interesting breakdown. Well, yeah, yeah, it, it is. Um, and by the way, ac- across all of these stories that I'm reading, that's something that they have in common. Is that you know there's regular mortals and then there's like this pantheon and then there's like this middle ground where you have these like human and divine hybrids hmm. D- I mean demigods like a Hercules like Hercules yeah like Achilles mm-hmm. like Gilgamesh see why couldn't I think of those names Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's because I put you on the spot. Come on, brain. <laughs> so it, uh, Gilgamesh is, is really a, a bad dude. Mm-hmm. He's he's the strongest person. Bad as in bad? Well, both. Oh, okay. Both. Got yeah. It. Like he's bad and he is also bad. Like bad to the bone. Okay. But also the other kind. Got it. Yeah. Gilgamesh is the king of Uruk. U-R-U-K. Uruk. Hmm. Which I th- I think we also get Eric from that E R E C H, I think that Ur U R is connected to that, and I suspect that Iraq yeah I R A Q is connected to that. I mean because we're talking about like the area that became Babylon. Okay. And probably talking you know post Babel. Hmm. But but still st- still in that area. So he's the he's the king, and like I said, he's one third human, two thirds. God, he's the strongest there is, and so the dude just does whatever he pleases. Hmm. Nobody can nobody can uh, counter him. Nobody can challenge him. Does whatever he he uh, he, he and he's enacted prima nocta. Okay. So uh, like uh, like in Braveheart, right? Where uh, you know the king sleeps with the bride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's what he's up to. So he just takes whatever woman he wants. You know, the the, the harem. And and all of that, and so the, the gods. I feel like you were hesitant to talk about sex, Justin. I'm an adult. <laughs> I won't, right. I won't well, squirm. <laughs> but, but, you know, 
there's questions on how to put these things delicately. Oh. So it's not my sensibilities you're worried about. No, no. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not. Tr- I don't want to be as graphic as the stories are. Oh, okay. Because it's pretty graphic, really. And the Iliad is even more graphic. Hmm. Well, uh, maybe maybe they're tied. Kind of. Anyway. A <laughs> <laughs> man, movie ratings and whatnot. So in comes this, uh, the, so the, the gods decide that there's got to be something to counter Gilgamesh. Okay. And so they, they basically make a Sasquatch. I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't either. And it's, of course it doesn't say Sasquatch, it doesn't say Yeti, it doesn't say Ape Man. Okay. But it's like this wild man out in the woods that's basically an animal and he's all covered in hair. Okay. It's like, that's a Squatch. Mm-hmm. And his name is Inkidu. Okay. Inkidu, yeah. E-N-K-I-D-U. So Inkidu ends up being uh, this friend of the beasts. It's sort of like Tarzan, actually. <clears throat> Inkidu is is essentially like a real hairy Tarzan. Okay. And Jane goes out because... Uh, so he, Also, think Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Okay. Man, I, I know this is kind of all over the place, but the story is all over the place. Hmm. It's kind of hard to keep up with. So <laughs> he's causing problems for like the, uh, the the local trappers because he's letting all the animals go. Inkadu is. Inkadu is. Okay. And so the trapper is like, man, this this is awful. Like, I can't trap any animals, and I need to trap animals. So his father sends him down to Gilgamesh. He's like, okay, Gilgamesh, what do I do here? And Gilgamesh says, okay, just take a temple prostitute with you and uh, let her work her womanly art on Inkadu. And so that's what happens for six days and seven nights. Oh, really? Yeah. That worked. (laughs) Yeah, it worked because after that six days and seven nights, he gets up from that situation and uh, goes back into the woods and all the animals run away from him. Hmm. And he's like learned wisdom, and so it's sort of like a little bit of a fall story, yeah. where like you know, okay. the, like the woman's responsible for him, you know, undoing kind, his undoing. Right? Yeah, yeah. In a way, his undoing, but like he's gained this wisdom. But you know, you can tell that it's this fall story that's from the wrong perspective. Okay. Like it has the wrong view of sexuality, and it has the wrong view of wisdom, and it has the wrong view of nature. Yeah. So then he goes down and ends up fighting Gilgamesh because like once he's been with this woman and he has all this wisdom he he uh like he's going around and he hears about Gilgamesh like deflowering all the brides on their wedding nights and he's mm-hmm. like this is wrong this shouldn't be I'm going to defy him I'm going to bring in a new order okay so you also have like kind of the the proto revolutionary yeah in Inkadu and so that they they lock in battle for you know 3 days and 3 nights or something and Gilgamesh wins, but they become friends, kind of like three amigos. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and at the end of the picture, you're friends. <laughs> anyway, so so th- so they become friends, and you know then they just do whatever whatever they please. They're having fun. I mean, it's like Gilgamesh and Inkadu, like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. It's great. Okay. Batman and Robin. W- Robin, yeah, the, the other guy. Yeah. I was going to say like cardinal or something, <laughs> or like chickadee. 
Batman and Chickadee. When, he's, when he has the shorts on, he's probably Chickadee. <laughs> the old school one. <laughs> yeah, well played. So then they are bored. And they, they tell each other, man, like, there's nothing to do here. We're going to die of boredom. And so they go. To, they, they decide that they're going to go slay this monster out in the woods. And so they do. And so that was good, except that then there was a god that was really angry at them and so kills Enkidu hmm. for killing the monster. Okay. Yeah. And then Gilgamesh is like, but that was my best friend. And he, he like watches over the body for like seven days until the worms latch on and like, you know, start gnawing on Enkidu and all that. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is apparently the first time that Gilgamesh has <clears throat> realized that he's mortal. Or that he's taken that into account. It's it's the, the the untimely death of his best friend and like kind of torturous, horrendous, yeah, prolonged death. And so he's staring death right in the face, you know, and he's seeing the worms and, and what they do and all that. He's like, man, I'm gonna die too. I'm I'm mortal. This is a big problem. So then we go to the second half of the story where he goes to see Utnapishtim. Come again, Utnapishtim. Basically Noah. Oh, okay. Yeah, like the guy who survived the flood (laughs) in a boat because God told him to build one. Really? Really. Hmm. And if you if you if you kind of translate Utnapishtim into Hebrew, which because it it, it's it sounds very Hebraic, Mm -hmm. you come out with something along the lines of like the one with souls or the the ones with the souls something like that and Utnapishtim at least according to legend story rumor Utnapishtim is immortal hmm so he 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 goes on this long long journey out to uh out to see Utnapishtim and Utnapishtim says yeah here's the story and tells the story of the flood basically and, and what he did to escape it and what God told him and all that and says, man, you've come a really long way. So uh, I, I re- probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to let you be immortal, too. Here's what you do. You uh, you just stay awake for seven nights and you'll be immortal. And immediately uh, Gilgamesh falls asleep and sleeps for that whole time, seven whole days. And so then he wakes up and he's really bummed because he could have been immortal, but now he's not immortal. And Utnapishtim says, well, okay, here's something else you can do. You you, you get another chance. You, you get a mulligan here. <laughs> you go down to, like, if you just swim down to the bottom of, of the, the sea here, there's this, there's this, like, plant, like this fruit thing. And if you, if you bring it back up and eat it, then you'll be immortal. So he goes down, like he waits himself down. He, he goes down. Uh, to the bottom of the sea and he, he finds this thing and on his way up like he's got it but on the way up like a snake takes it this is quite the story it is quite the story and so then he doesn't get to be immortal he goes back to Uruk and he builds a bunch of stuff and he dies and that's it and that's it okay I know this is a really weird bible study tonight <laughs> I'm interested to see where this goes. Yeah. So the Iliad. The Iliad centers on the war between 
Troy and the Argives. It starts over a woman, and it it just the the war goes on and on and on. Uh, you have Achilles on the Argives side, basically Greeks. Mm-hmm. Achilles is over there, King Agamemnon. Uh, Achilles, he's a demigod, mm-hmm. so he's. It seems like he was maybe uh, birthed by a temple prostitute, something like that. Okay, but there's a there's a god that's in, involved in. Oh, maybe his mother. His mother is a goddess. That that's that's what it is. And I think the temple prostitute was sort of her proxy. Okay. So anyway, so he's he's a demigod, Agamemnon. I don't get the sense that King Agamemnon in, is is a demigod. He's just human. But the, the, these guys are they're just so intently focused on betting women mm-hmm. just left and right right like that's very very uh top pursuit mm-hmm. for them it's like honor in battle like victory in battle and spoils of war and like like the the top spoil of war is women mm-hmm. like you know you you go <clears throat> you go take over some sort of city state <clears throat> and yeah you get you get the people uh, you know and you get the taxes and the treasure but you get your pick of the women but of course there's a uh, there's a, a rift between Achilles and Agamemnon because Agamemnon took a gal from Achilles whom Achilles won as spoils of war so the, the the war is not going great for the Argives. Like Troy is kind of kind of starting to beat them back, even though like Achilles, being a demigod, this hero of old, mm-hmm. is uh, like he can just you know beat everybody. He's he's Superman essentially. Right. Uh, so Troy starts beating them back, and Achilles won't fight. They try to Agamemnon sends people to try to get Achilles to fight, and he's like you know just forget you. Like you took my girl, yeah. so forget it. <laughs> And, um, but behind the scenes, what's going on in this whole thing is that the gods are all f- like on one side or another. Okay. And so really the, like the people are just a proxy for like the quabbles and quibbles and junk that's between the gods uh-huh. in the, in the heavenly realm. But even the gods themselves are just proxies for the fates, the fates, the fates, the I'm, fates, you I'm, know. I'm not familiar with that. In as in like fate. Okay. Like predetermined everything fatalistic. Like mm. the fates have decreed X and Y and Z, so shall it be written, so shall it be done. And so that that kind of trickles down like like the, this this fatalistic stuff trickles down from the fates to the gods, down to the demigods and to the people. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's this prevalent sense that well, you know, like whatever is faded like that's that's what's going to happen so like you know if i'm gonna die i'm gonna die if i'm gonna live i'm gonna live and there's not i can sort of do whatever i please because it's just gonna turn out the way it's gonna turn out right yeah and that's also that's incredibly prevalent in uh gilgamesh Mm -hmm. also you 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 have you have fate very much playing a part in that Hmm. and and like god's intervening to counteract men but on behalf of fate it's it's a mess okay gilgamesh it's like gilgamesh <laughs> hot take yeah and the iliad is pretty ill 
<laughs> you know, it was good. And then you did that. Come on. That was still good. <laughs> no, I don't agree. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to totally spoil the Iliad for you. So Achilles, you know, he's not fighting, but his friend decides that he's going to put on Achilles armor and he's going to go out and fight and he's doing a really good job. And he like beats the Trojans back all the way to the walls of Troy. And then Apollo shows up, mm. the God Apollo. And he's like, man, it's not fated that you're going that the hand of, uh, oh, what, what's his name? It starts with a P anyway, dude with the name that starts with a P friend of Achilles. Like it's not fated that you're going to be the one who's going to take over Troy. So then Apollo himself, like lightning bolts him, like just lets this guy have it. Uh, but then somebody else lets him have it. And then finally that like the hero of Troy, Hector, mm-hmm. he finishes him off. And so then his, his body ends up getting taken back to Achilles and Achilles is like, Hey, you killed my best friend. Okay. I'll actually fight now. And so then he goes and kills Hector hmm. and like drags his body around the city every day, like from his chariot. Yeah. But then the gods get upset about that. And I feel like I saw that in a movie. You probably did see it in a movie. And if you, uh, if you didn't see, if you didn't see it in a movie, then you probably saw a movie that was just copying it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so then that's how the Iliad ends. Uh, the, the body of Hector being dragged around, but then King Priam, his father of Priam of Troy goes out and is like, come on, Achilles, please give my son back. And so then like the gods like work on Achilles and they like give him some sense of like contrition or something. He's like, okay, you have to give me a bunch of stuff, but, but okay. And so they take Hector's body back and that's the end of the story. Hmm. So Gilgamesh ends in death. Yeah. And there's this big mess among all the gods and, and people, the Iliad, this big mess among the gods and the people and it ends in death. Yeah. Okay. So I, I know that's, that, that's such a, a fast kind of, herky jerky like romp through Gilgamesh and the Iliad but let's read the Bible and go to Romans 5 okay and because like like when I when I read this like like Romans 5 Romans 6 it's like man like there's such contrast between this this literature that I'm reading and 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 what it says about people and about gods and about what's important and what the values are as opposed to what we're seeing here okay all right um could you read verses 1 through 11 in chapter 5? Yep. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put to shame, does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 
Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, uh, verse one, uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so what's what would the opposite of that be? Uh, we have war. We have violence with yeah, God. We yeah, have, you know. Uh, so contention. Th- yeah, like that. That's what we take for. It's so easy to read that and, and take it for for granted. Right. N- not just on a theological level, but like on a on a on a mythological level, on a on a narrative level, on a consciousness level, because mm. like the th- there really is an opposite to that. And not only does is the opposite clear, because sometimes it's it's specified, but there's an enormous body of tradition that paints the heavenly realm in that way. Yeah. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In in both of those stories, like there's no peace with the gods. Yeah. Because even if you have peace with one, well, the peace that you have with the one means that you're in conflict with this other one. Yeah. Like uh, Apollo, you know, taken out, this is awful that I can't think of his name, but like the, like the dude at the at the wall of of Troy, uh, Perk Perka Perkolis Per uh, man, that's awful. Anyway, constant conflict b- b- between the gods, and you know th- th- there were there were gods that were on the side of Troy, and there were gods that were on the side of um, the, the 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 Argives in in the Iliad. But there's there's no sense of so it's like you know if if the gods are against you like well wh- what do you do like is is there any appeal Patroclus Patroclus yeah that's it Patroclus I can't believe I've listened to it like twice in the last <laughs> two weeks <laughs> but there's a lot of names yeah I bet it, yeah that actually that's that's kind of the point of the first like the first time through is to just get like a a, a good feel of, mm-hmm. of the names yeah so that the second time through you can kind of like place them yeah better. Um, say it again. Per- Patroclus. Patroclus. I kept. I keep on wanting to call him like Percules or something. Percules, which would be an awesome coffee shop. Perculate. Yeah. Percules. <laughs> it's a Greek coffee shop. You can get coffee with a side of tzatziki. Oh goodness. <laughs> also stuffed grape leaves with coffee beans. Mm. Wrapped in chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So some other things that that, that jump out. Uh, here in in uh, chapter five, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, there's no rejoicing in sufferings whatsoever in either of these stories. Mm-hmm. If you go back to Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh and Enkidu are like they think they're going to be bored to death, <clears throat> and then you know, the, the journey that they go through, you know, you might say that it's heroic and it's, it's commendable or something or or it's brave. But what winds up happening is that in their victory over this monster, Mbaba, I'm sure you wanted to know that. (laughs) Mbaba. Goodness. Mbaba. 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 Yeah, exactly. Sounds like something from the Lion King. Yeah. (laughs) Or Aladdin or both. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so they have the, this victory on the one hand, but then it produces the suffering of Enkidu, and Enkidu didn't like. He didn't think there was anything good or like uh, beneficial about his sufferings. 
Gilgamesh didn't think that there was anything beneficial about seeing his friend go through these sufferings. And then even though he like figures out that he's mortal and he goes on this journey to try to do something about it, he dies. Yeah. Like there is no like sense that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope Mm -hmm. like or or, or with like Achilles. So you you might say he's suffering because he he lost Briseis, his Mm -hmm. his gal. Right. To Agamemnon. Okay, so yeah, he's suffering. But all he does about it is like pout, as I say, pout, and throws tantrums. Like he's just he's he's really angry. He he won't he won't fight. And you might say that it's, you know, it's understandable that if the king took his girl, that he wouldn't fight for the king. Okay, yeah, yeah, that that's understandable. But it's there. There's nothing transcendent about that. Like there's no. It's just like the normal response, like anger. Right. Like that's just default. Mm-hmm. Like well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'd, I'd be angry too. Like so, what's what's the lesson here? I mean, I, I guess the lesson is in the is is in the opposite. It's like, well, did that work out for Achilles? No, no, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Or how about like Christ dying for us? There's a lot of death in both of these stories. The Iliad, man. I think that that listening to the Iliad is more graphic than any war movie I've ever watched. Mm-hmm. It's 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 enormously graphic when it comes to like the the specific injuries that this hero or that hero um, inflicts on on others. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. A lot of crushed skulls and you know like uh, bronze spear points sticking out of you know the backs of dudes and mm-hmm. like the like the precise damage that that's doing anatomically. Interesting. Oh yeah. Like a whole lot. There's a whole lot of death. But all of that death is like I mean, there's there's really nothing sacrificial about it. I mean, you might say that Troy is being sacrificial because they're defending their city. It's like, well, yeah. But even the ones who are doing that, like Hector, when he when he kills Patroclus, like he gloats over his body. Mm-hmm. You know, like you fool. Like, did you really think that you could like do better than me? I mean, it's just like you see if you watch. I don't know, like the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, and and like a guy who hits a three pointer in somebody's face or dunks on somebody, and like you know, just the gloating. Yeah, yeah, like the gloating, or like in baseball, you got like the bat flip if you hit a home run or something. Yeah, you know, just a bunch of nonsense. Except this is over uh, Patroclus's dead body. Right. So it's like, yeah, you have like the the sacrifice on the one hand, but then you have all this like gloating over this dead person on the other. It's like, well, you know. <clears throat> I, I don't know if I can very well like celebrate that or like seek to emulate that mm-hmm. attitude. Right. Um, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? All right. I'm going to uh, read 12 through the end of the chapter. Uh, Therefore, as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not the result is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. 
For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, like, the one thing that, like, nobody can escape in these two stories, like, it's dealt with right there. Mm-hmm. Like, death and life. It's almost like that's our title or right. something. I say, well, death yeah. and yeah, There it is. <laughs> yeah, d- d- death and life. But in, the, in these old stories, you've got... Um, you have the gods who play fa- who pick favorites, mm-hmm. and there's no sense of favor for all mankind because typically, like the demigods are regarded by the gods above them, who often fathered them or like mothered them, like had something to do with their creation. Um, they are like there, there's a denigration. There, there's a yeah a a. a a really negative attitude towards mortals. Mm-hmm. Like mere mortals are, you know, just like, they're just dirt. Yeah. And so, but, but again, it like, if, if you see that like these stories are giving voice to the pagan consciousness that's derived from not a heavenly source, but from a demonic essentially, source like you know if you think about what's the attitude of satan towards humans versus what's the attitude of god towards humans okay yeah you know like these stories express that it's like y'all are just y'all are dirt yeah which god says that too but he loves it right he he loves us Mm -hmm. and like they're they're they just they don't care if, if any number of them are, are wiped out. Like it just, it doesn't matter. And sometimes like the gods are taking like an active hand and doing it and actually like striking somebody down. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so different from the picture of God, the father that we, we get here. Hmm. And there's a, and speaking of, of, of death, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life. Like that's that's the thing that the gods have in um, in Gilgamesh that Gilgamesh can't get. Mm-hmm. It's also the thing that the gods have in the Iliad that the mortals can't get. Mm-hmm. And so they're like these stories are just again full of full of death, full mm-hmm. of destruction. Okay, could you read uh, 6, 1 through 14? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order... So, wait, hold on. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death 
in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace." Okay, so we've talked some about heroes. We've talked about uh, death, especially in those in those old stories. Um, life. So now, now to sacrifice. So you sent me. I, I don't remember, remember if this was last week. It might have been the week before. But recently, you sent me uh, a video clip about Peter Pan and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Could you could you tell about that a bit? Okay. Um, so this is a Jordan Peterson talk. So he's narrating in the background and then, you know, there's that new thing you'll see now where, uh, I mean, they use it for like businesses use it to sell products and stuff. And so it's like somebody's drawing it as people are talking. So a number of people are probably pop. Uh, I think they call it a doodle, don't they? Something like that. Yeah. Anywho, he's talking about sacrifice and in relation to the story of Peter Pan and man, let's see if I can get this right. And the first thing he says is sacrifice. You get to pick your sacrifice, but you don't get to pick whether or not you get to make one. Like, we all have to make a sacrifice. Yeah. And, uh, man, I'm not entirely certain how he ties it all together, but he uses the story of Peter Pan and talks about the deeper meanings of these stories. In fact, I was just talking to my boys about this the other day. Like, there's more to that story than just this magical kid who lives in Neverland and never wants to grow up. And, and, and so he talks about how Peter Pan's a child and what children are is their potential because they yeah. have the potential to grow up and be anything and uh but peter pan wants to remain a child um because he wants to remain a child because who 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 is his his uh adult example it's captain hook and captain hook is this man who's he's mean and overbearing but he's also scared he's a scared of the alligator he's afraid of the alligator who who has gotten a taste of him before and the alligator represents he represents satan the dragon and he, he swallowed a clock, so he also represents time. It's this thing that's coming for all of us. And so he goes on to talk about, I guess, kind of like um, kind of some of the dangers that we have with, with young, I guess maybe young men in particular, and how, uh, like, again, children are potential, and uh, at some point, like, they need to grow up. And, and Peter Pan eventually realizes that because this woman he loves, Peter, uh, Wendy, eventually leaves Neverland and when he goes back to visit her a couple of times, she's getting older and he's, he's remained young. Um, and, yeah. And so how does, how, how does that, how does Peterson in, in that video, how does he um, characterize growing up? Like, what does he mean by that? Um, well, it, it's, it's taking on responsibility if yeah. I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And, and so one of the things he says, is like, you know, when, when young folks reach early adulthood, um, there's a certain bit, there's a certain amount of understanding that, uh, 
you know, they're still trying to figure it out and they can make childish mistakes and they can still remain a child to a certain extent. But by the time they, they hit like their thirties, it's not cute anymore. And the, and, mm -hmm. and like, they need to take responsibility for themselves. They need to take responsibility for their lives. Uh, and, and frankly, they need to retake responsibility for other people in, in having families. And so, um, man, he tells it a lot better than I do. And I, I would encourage everybody to take a look at it. Cause it, it really, I think speaks to a lot of problems with our youth, young men in particular, particularly young men of, of single mothers, I would say. Um, I think I'm going to throw the girls in there too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it, <clears throat> I think that it's, it's, it's equal. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that young men are fed a lot of, I mean like young men in particular are fed a lot of lies and I think that young women are fed a lot of lies also different ones. And then there are some that they lies that they, they have, they have in common. Uh -huh. And probably that's a topic for another podcast, probably what you're going to do next week. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can just tack this on to like the beginning of next week. Right. Or it's a preview. There like, you go. Like a midweek it's a preview. It's a teaser. Teaser. There you go. That's what, that's what you call it. Okay. So, the, the message of that video, like you're going to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Everyone absolutely sacrifices. So the only question is what? Because even if, even if a person does like a, a person might think, well, like I, I don't have to make any sacrifices. Like I can, I can just stay at home and live off the government. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that's <clears throat> like any choice that's made sacrifices, whatever the opposite choice is. So, um, I, I've griped about this before. The army wants me to go to college now. And so one of the first, I thought you were doing that. I am. Um, one of the first classes I took was, uh, basic economics and, uh, well, I'm sorry. I took microeconomics, not macroeconomics. Anyway, it's easier to start with a small one, right? Like, like micro. Yeah, for sure. Anyways, one of the first things you learn about, you know, you learn about, I think scarcity was the first thing, but then the next thing you learn about was opportunity costs. And it was actually our first like forum post. And so it's like, what's the opportunity cost of you taking this course? And so um, Thomas Sowell, I think, describes this really well because he says it, it's something to this, something to the effect of if I buy this phone, there is a financial cost. So let's say I spend $500 to buy this phone. It costs me $500, but there's also an opportunity cost in all the other things I could have bought with that $500. Mm -hmm. So the cost is much more than just that monetary cost. And so, you know, my, my, my complaint for my forum post was like, you know, they were like, what's the opportunity cost of you taking this course? Well, the opportunity cost of me taking this course is it's, it's costing me my evenings with my family, you mm -hmm. know? And so I think to your point, if you're sitting at home, not doing anything, right? Like it may not be costing you anything maybe financially or, or in other regards, but there is an opportunity cost probably in like growing up and learning skills and taking responsibility for yourself maybe. Right. I mean, waking up is a sacrifice. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And going to sleep is, is a sacrifice, mm -hmm. um, which I think that it's really easy to see the word sacrifice as either as only positive or as only negative. But if you see it as the, the death of options mm -hmm. or like choosing what lives and choosing what dies, yeah, you know, that that's, that's what it is or choosing what's actualized or choosing what is not actualized. Yeah. So yeah, sacrifice is inescapable, but we 
get to choose that. <clears throat> now, I, I think he's right. I think he's right um, because that's what the scriptures teach. Okay. The scriptures absolutely teach that we get to choose what we sacrifice to. After all, Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. Yeah. But how about in, in this, this text here in, in Romans 6, how does the idea of sacrifice uh, c- come into play? Oh, can you, or, narrow, or how, can how you does, narrow it down more? Yeah. How about like verses uh, 8 through 10? Because I don't, I don't think it says the word sacrifice, but I, I think that that idea is all over this passage. Okay. <clears throat> um, for we know that Christ is, was raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So, I mean, obviously, Christ sacrificed himself for our, on our behalf. Right. So, and, I, and as Christians, we recognize that Jesus choosing to die is the center of all history. Mm-hmm. Like, everything hinges right. on that. Mm-hmm. So, if... And, and that's, that's clearly, you know, the most important choice that, that he, he made. Right. At least on, on the earth. So... If that's, I, I just don't see, I, I don't think that, that my my way, the way that I think and the way that I live, I don't think is sufficiently impacted by that. Mm-hmm. Well, man, like I, some of this, I think, ties in what we talked about last week and the idea of like desires of the flesh and denying your, like we could say that denying yourself things is making sacrifices choosing some things over others and i guess where where am i going with this so we keep invoking the name of jordan peterson but jordan peterson (laughs) talks about this idea of not wanting to being hesitant to call himself a christian because he realizes the like all that should go with that yeah so like by by choosing to, to to follow christ like there are so many sacrifices that we should be making there are so many opportunity costs to that um, like you, you, you shouldn't utter those words lightly, I guess, because, um, you should be willing to do those things in light of what he's done for us. Yeah. So how about in, in verses, uh, 11 through, through 14, how, how does sacrifice, you know, like sacrifice in the sense of letting a live and letting b die or 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 letting a continue and letting b not continue so do not let sin reign yeah do not offer in your part of sin but rather offer yourselves to god well yeah so offer yourself it doesn't say the word sacrifice but that's you know that's exactly what it's talking about mm-hmm. offer yourselves to god and and it, it it does go with what with what you were um taking us through last week on uh the, the the flesh freedom freedom versus uh the the flesh so so this is true and like like we see that and, and we, like we recognize the importance of well okay you know it's really important that i make choices that are in line with what god says is good yeah like that i choose what god says is good that i say yes to it you know th- there's that one passage where paul says that the that the spirit teaches us to say no to ungodliness, mm-hmm. you know, 
mm-hmm. and all that. So we say yes to the things that God has told us that he loves, and we say no to the things that he hates. And and several places in the scriptures, there are lists of things that God hates as opposed to lists of things that God that God loves. Yeah. So we have that, and that's good. But then when we recognize the pattern of the world, like we have our eyes open and, and seeing that, oh, you know, there's... There is a competing idea out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it comes up in those stories mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reading. Like th- there, there's sacrifice there. Uh, little ones all the way up to big ones. Like uh, Agamemnon, when he's trying to get Achilles to come back and fight for for the Argives, he sends some messengers out, including Odysseus, for, for example. And I think he sends big Ajax and little Ajax. So Ajax, I guess, is supposed to be a strong cleaner in, hmm. in our in our world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was like a big Ajax and a little Ajax hmm. in in the Iliad. Anyway, he sends all these guys, and uh, Achilles says, "Oh, it's great to see you. How about we have a barbecue?" And so he they like they they roast all this meat. And they've got all this wine. I mean, it's basically a a tailgate party. Okay. They're on the beach. It's a beach tailgate party. It's, it's an interesting interlude in the middle of this war. Yeah. Well, I mean, because he's just he's just hanging out out by his ship. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got this yacht essentially, and he's not fighting, so he's just kicking back and relaxing, being angry at Agamemnon. Mm-hmm. And so they uh, so that they they roast all this meat, and they start cutting pieces off, and Achilles says honor the gods or sacrifice to the gods or something and so they they cut off a piece and like they they chuck it in the fire to the gods and they'll you know pour out wine to the gods and the gods love this by the way because at various times throughout the story when the gods are having conversations about what's going on among the people they're like well you know like hector man he's sacrificed a lot of oxen to us we probably ought to help him hmm. like it smells good yeah all all that all that meat and fat and stuff, we kind of like it. So like we probably ought to do something for him. Hmm. So there's sacrifice in in that sense. And then there's of course like just the way that they they kill each other in a way as a sacrifice. And and you I think that you could conceive of all of the killing that happens, uh, Troy versus the Argives, as being kind of sacrifices to the fates because they're just going out, you know. With all this this violence, because well, I mean, you may as well because it's fated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all like like the end has already been determined. So you know, we'll, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then here, we, so ultimately, it's it's really not presented as a choice mm-hmm. because it's fated. Yeah. And so, if fate is this consistent concept all the way back in Gilgamesh, all the way through this ancient Greek literature. Mm-hmm. It's like the scriptures present a 100% diametrically opposed view to that. Choose this day. Choose this day whom you will serve. Yeah. I mean, because if everything were, if it were true that everything were fated, like what do we do with what Joshua says? Mm-hmm. And, and what do we do with what, what Paul says? Because doesn't he act as if like we can choose I mean, therefore, do not let, or like count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Yeah. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin. Yeah. 
so uh, so on the one hand we have this contradiction of the the very traditional concept of fate mm-hmm. we have that flatly contradicted here and and throughout the scriptures but then also like the sacrifice that that we get is this internal thing yeah it, it's not just this slicing off of meat to chuck in the fire it's it's not just this uh you know this kind of bloodshed on 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 the battlefield it's not i mean it's like in a sense like the the battle is within well you know i guess the other thing that that occurs to me as you're talking about this i mean we have a tendency to look at the old testament and be awfully hard on the old testament in fact uh i was listening to something so i that's what it was i i'd finished well i've heard this a couple times but elisa childers mentions it in her book i've seen a couple podcasts on it where they talk about the uh um Canaanite conquest and there's a lot of people that question like how could God do that you know I think they under they overestimate the righteousness of the Canaanites so we can start with that right there's a lot of yeah. things that we don't know but you know we've talked before about the idea of, of, of really how um, humane the idea of eye for an eye was given the times yeah you know I right? was just talking with your kids about that oh were you yeah because we, like we, we were we're reading that in Exodus mm-hmm. and then I I, I cross-reference that with what Jesus says yeah. in the Sermon on the Mount. Right. And uh, and so um, so you think about this idea of sacrifice, where, again, a lot of people are turned off about this idea of, like, why does God require a blood sacrifice and, and, and this, that, and the other. But, I mean, again, you put that in contrast to what you're saying, where it's like, this was the custom of other religions, and and, and in this and and in this case, where they're sacrificing bulls, and it's like, all right, that's like the tenth one. I guess we should should pay attention to this guy, as opposed to in the Old Testament, this was a covenant. Yeah, you know, like man, oh man, that that that's such a good point. You do this, as God, I will do this, right? Yeah, it wasn't a oh, they're praying again. Okay, what is it they want? All right, you know, like we weren't, you know, humans weren't aren't just God's plaything, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, But then the other thing, uh, man, what was it that you said? I was thinking about this idea of again asking you, asking you shall receive. Yeah, you know, being able before God and asking for something and 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 have Him respond. Like, like clearly that's groundbreaking when contrasted with with what you're talking about there. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That no, that's that's a, a a really good point. Um, so again, reading these old stories makes me recognize and appreciate just how good God is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't quite know if I want to go at it from this angle, but let, let's just treat the scriptures as pure fiction for a second. Okay. Of course, that's not what I think. Mm-hmm. So no, nobody listening needs to come away with that, that I think that it's, that it is. But if it were... And we're just saying, okay, so we've got this fictional conception of gods over here and this other fictional conception of gods over here. Like the the Bible, like the the characteristics of the God portrayed by the Bible are way better yeah. than the characteristics of the gods portrayed by these other ancient stories. Yeah. And like they're they're good and they the the picture of of God and the things that He's revealed to people in the Bible, even if you just take it as fiction, which again I don't, it's so much higher, mm-hmm. like it surpasses it, uh, just infinitely. Mm-hmm. It's 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 crazy to see, how, because in 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 these uh, Iliad and and these these old stories, 
that there's really not much sense of, you know, like personal morality mm-hmm. or like, you know, goodness. Yeah. Like there's, there, there just isn't, I mean, th- there, there isn't that in the pantheon. There isn't that among the demigods that there isn't that among the, the mortals. Well, do you, do you think it would be safe to say Achilles would be a man without a chest? Because again, like you've had, mm. you have this idea where you're talking about like he's hanging out barbecuing while the war is going on because is this part of when he was pouting? Yes. Right. And so, man, like maybe his his gut, you know, uh, that would the seed of yes. desire, yes, is saying like, be a baby, right? Yeah. And there's no moral compass to say, you know, I know you're upset, but this is what the right thing. So like it's it's a sin of omission. Yeah. It is a lack of doing right. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, he he's he's holding a grudge, and, and grudges come from the belly. Yeah. So really, Achilles, Achilles is Achilles' heel. Maybe it wasn't his heel, mm-hmm. but it was his belly. Right. What well, and I guess what I'm what I'm saying though is is to your point. What people people don't don't want to recognize this necessarily, but. Like the Judeo-Christian ethic is so rooted in our Western values that we don't appreciate how significant it was. Exactly. Historically, because and and because there was a time when there were peoples besides the people peoples of God, who it was not their natural inclination to do what was right. To consider morality necessarily, like it was all it was relativism. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a whole lot in, in these stories of, of might makes right. Right. Whatever the strong the strongest person says goes. Mm-hmm. There, there's, I mean, th- there's sort of is a sense of, you know, maybe you can appeal to the gods, but like who knows if they even care mm-hmm. or they're listening because like they don't, they don't really have to. They're just kind of doing their own thing. And, and, and by the way, like all of the stuff that the humans are doing that are, that, that's bad, the, uh, the gods are doing it way more. Yeah. Like they're, so if there are humans who are lying, the gods are lying. There are gods lying more. If, yeah. if there are humans who are being promiscuous, the gods are more promiscuous. Yeah. So it's a, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say about that. Could you read, um, to kind of start wrapping up verses 15 through 23. So that's the rest of Romans six. Okay. What then shall we be, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which lead to death or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you have though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that is now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. How far am I going? Uh, through the end of the chapter. Okay. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sins, you sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from, from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, 
The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here in the scriptures we have something that none of these stories have. Hope. Yeah. You know, I, I'm kind of remiss to say this because I, I think I've mentioned before, like, I am disinclined to try to comment on other maybe um, what's the word I'm looking for like religious texts like the Quran let's say okay because I haven't read it you know yeah I've heard read bits and pieces I've certainly interacted with a number plenty of Muslims in my my trips to, to overseas mm-hmm. and so I, I guess I will just say this from um, I've had a couple uh, counterparts or interpreters or, or whatever who are uh, they're they're Arab or Kurdish or or whatever, um, Jordanian, uh, you know, you name it, and and I've run into quite a few that are that are atheists, um, so they're not practicing. They're they might be ethnically Muslims. Like a lot of times you meet people who like they're Catholic but they aren't practicing. Let's say, or you have people that are like ethnically Jewish but they aren't religious Jews, right? And so you'll run into a lot of that over there where uh, they're Muslim but like they're not. Like they're Muslim because their family's Muslim. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I've had a couple of them say to me like they just they're they're sick of they don't they don't they hate religion and and it seems like no matter what you do you can do everything the quran says and you still go to hell just because basically because allah doesn't like you you know and that's really bad news yeah and so um again this is being relatively ignorant on what the what the the quran says but if, if if that is the case like like what a bummer you know yeah and that there are their interpretations of the Judeo-Christian scriptures that are that way too. Yeah, which you know we don't we don't have to get into right now. Mm-hmm. But suffice it to say, fate does figure largely in world religion, mm-hmm. and I don't see that being the picture painted by our scriptures. Mm-hmm. It's like we get to make choices. Yeah. We get to choose who to sacrifice to. Right. We get, we get to choose what we sacrifice and how we sacrifice it and to whom we, we sacrifice. Well, and I mean, again, if, if scripture is any indication, you know, we can, we can talk God into doing things that he hadn't intended to. Right. Like we can get him to change his mind, intercede on our behalf. If you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, right. Yeah. For example. And we, we have, Man, like I, I don't want to be too dogmatic, but it seems like if we're going to take the text seriously, like we have to come away with that, mm-hmm. because if so, so we we think that the Bible's true. Like you think it's true, I think it's true. Like you know these things really happened. So, but but if we we acted like they didn't, and it's just a story, and we're just trying to interpret the story, well, that's what we would have to come away with. So right. then when we flip it to actually being true, we we still. We have the same we have the same meaning except mm-hmm. it's just it's simply enhanced right you know by virtue of its historicity mm-hmm. so death life heroes sacrifice the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through christ jesus our lord it's something that the heroes of old and the men of renown didn't know about mm-hmm. you know they might sacrifice to this god or that god but the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. Mm-hmm. You know, 
that that choice of of choosing i mean the choice of choosing choosing whom we will serve like like whether we are going to serve ourselves and like our bellies mm-hmm. and that you know leading to sin of this that and the other kind or whether we're going to die with Christ you know like die, die to self mm-hmm. because like what that leads to is eternal life which is what all of these heroes of old men of renown were actually after yeah or they were running around chasing other things because like they that they knew that that was impossible but like the the scriptures reveal to us that the gift of god is eternal life if we sacrifice ourselves mm-hmm. final thoughts final thoughts so i think the, the you know if there's one thing I take away from what we say, you we talked about tonight is that like, we're not in contention with God. Hmm. You know, uh, God loves us. We are con- in contention with sin, but God loves us. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has made a way for us to reconcile to him by virtue of choice, by through, through freedom uh, effectively. And as we said last week, you know, the great thing about, uh, you know, the great thing about this whole thing is the freedom, but at the same time, the worst thing about this could be the freedom. And so, you know, choose God. Choose because we really get to choose. Right. Yep. Well, you want to close us down? Okay. Yep. Emily, father, we thank you for this time that we've had to come here to spend time in your word. And, um, we're just so awestruck by by the fact that uh, you know, we never cease to find new things to learn, new insights to gain, and uh, just more wisdom to acquire. And God, we ask that you be with us as we go about our week, as we interact with the world, interact with our families, and help us to take uh, the wisdom we've gained from from your word and to apply it to our lives, apply it to our relationships, share it with our, our coworkers, our families, our friends, and to uh, just further spread your message we ask that you be with uh, our church our families our our our, our communities um in, the, in these trying times in our country pray that uh we can we can uh just experience the peace that we read about in your word we thank you for jesus and the sacrifice on the cross for our sins help us to be ever more like him in jesus name amen amen